Welcome back to the Girls Talk Egg Podcast, Plowing Through the Manure Online. Uh, this week, we are going to talk last week's USDA report. So um, if you've been living under a rock, which I, I doubt because our listeners are hip and progressive and cool, all three of them. Uh, last week, the USDA on Thursday put out a, an updated crop uh, report. They, they always put out a monthly supply and demand report. But in the summertime, um, there's the supply and demand report that has the added information uh, coming from NAS, um, a, a different segment of the USDA. Uh, they have an added information brought in um, to give us crop production, or at least their outlook on crop production. So that caught a lot of folks off guard, came in about three bushel to the acre higher than what most analysts were expecting uh, and really pissed some people off, understandably so. Um, so yeah, this week I have my, um, I would say torch wielding, but after this weekend, I guess that's kind of a little crazy. So I'll just say my rabble rousing friends, uh, Karen and Jen um, with me to talk about the fun USDA report. We'll answer some questions and uh, kind of dig in deep to it. So say hi, you guys. Hello. Hello. There's Karen and there's Jen in that order. So, Jen, let it out, man. You were on Facebook last week. Um, you you had some things on your mind that you wanted to talk about, and, and uh, I think we should touch base on them because every single one that you brought up uh, was something that a lot of farmers out there are are considering or questioning or ticked off about. So I think it, it makes sense to just dive in head first and, and start talking and answering those questions that you've got. So the first question I'm going to ask, I'm going to make Angie answer here is give me, give me a little background because I know enough to kind of get myself in trouble here. Um, there's the USDA crop reports that are kind of weekly. There's usually a USDA crop report daily over honeybees or something silly like that. Not that honeybees are silly. Don't get me wrong. But anyway, we love honeybees. Right. I love honeybees. Love honeybees. Um, and then there is this report that comes out. Is it twice a year? The WASD. So we have all of these acronyms that I can't even begin to tell you what they stand for. So yeah. explain explain that to me real quick, Ange. Okay. So we've got several groups of the USDA, which is super fun. Um, and several reports come out. The ones that the the... I guess I'll I'll give you your your daily ones like you said there's there's different ones that'll come out each day or different days of the week. So you have export inspections on Monday, you have export sales on Thursday, you have ethanol which isn't the USDA, that's the the energy department on Wednesday. Um and then each month you will have the WASD, which is the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimate report. And that's generally released like the second Thursday of each month, give or take. Um, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason as to what the USDA does with it. But um, yeah, that comes out monthly. Uh, certain months don't usually matter. And those are the months that come out ahead of, you know, bigger uh, reports that'll be out later. Uh, four times a year, we get quarterly stocks, hence quarterly, um, in the, the stocks numbers. And that gives us... Um, what is actually out there physically. So what came out last Thursday um, was kind of a two-prong uh, report. The World Board, and they actually just had a conversation on AgriTalk about that this morning. Um, the World Board is who puts together the WASD report. The NAS, which is the National Agricultural Statistics Service with the USDA, I believe that's the acronym if I'm wrong. <laughs> just Google it and figure it out yourself. I don't know. Um, the NAS puts out production. So as Lance, I forget how to say his last name, but he's the guy that's in charge of NAS there. Uh, he put it this morning, the World Board um, focuses on supply and demand from a global perspective. So they put together um, everything. They, they bring in what they consider production for other countries, what they consider usage for other countries, what they consider production and usage. Well, they take the production from the NAS here and usage, etc. They put all of that together, whereas the NAS is basically U.S. only. Most of their focus is on the supply side. So where a lot of this anger came in last week was actually the NAS number. Um, not so much the supply and demand side, because the, the WASD report itself, the supply and demand report, just took what NAS suggested for production 
in entered into basically their their supply and demand matrix that they they figure out for each crop year. Does that make sense, Jen? Yeah, it's kind of a lot which, of mumbling stuff. No, I, I mean, get it. How I, I don't know. Then I have to go back to how often are they calibrating this machine that they're using? I yeah, don't know. well. From the supply and demand standpoint, like I said, that's that's once a month. Um, so they'll take into consideration, and sometimes it doesn't matter. Like I said, there's some some bum reports that really don't mean much. December is usually a cruddy one um, where they don't change a whole lot. February, uh, March, uh, most of the winter months don't really matter because they don't change much in supply. And the only time they'll really change demand is if there's a big shift in quarter, quarterly stocks. Um, or if, um, you know, usage numbers released weekly, i.e. the export or the ethanol numbers indicate a big change should be made. Um, so like this month, the re- the big change or the big changes that we're seeing right now is we're trying to get a handle on actual production. What's going on out there? Um, what is, is, uh, you know, what is the likelihood or what kind of crop are we making? Um, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the big changes right now that we're looking at each month. Um, and we will continue to look at the NAS numbers, those crop production numbers into January, because that's when NAS releases what they call their final report. And after that, then the world board is in charge of making any other changes. Like I said, both of which fall under the umbrella of the USDA, but they'll say both groups don't really work together. So it's kind of so, screwy because well go yeah ahead. then it is kind of screwy because it, but I guess then I come around to I, I sit at both sides of the table I guess because mm-hmm. I come around to it doesn't matter what they say because it's pretty much the written law anyway and that's what's going to drive the markets um so you can be pissed but I don't know it's so yeah. confusing. Well, it's not confusing. It's frust. Well, it can be confusing. Yes. But and I see it more as frustrating. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's because, like I've, I've said a thousand times, and and uh, you know, I, I really, really struggle with it because um, there's there's such better ways to get information. I would say nowadays, this is a very antiquated system. Now, a lot of people argue that it's the best one out there. It's the the most studied, the most tried and true, et cetera, et cetera. Because reality is what the USDA says is what the USDA says. You know, I right. saw someone mention before where, you know, hey, the USDA in August is blah, 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 accurate, blah, blah, blah amount of times. And someone said, well, if I was comparing my August guest to my final guest, I'd probably be all accurate every time too, which would make sense. Um, you know, it's it is frustrating that the USDA is the driver, but they they really are. I mean, let me take a step back. The USDA is their reports are the overall um, indicator. They are our our parameters with which we with you know we operate under. You could say right. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, the, that's it. They, yes. they they make the, the market. This report makes the market. It it, it does, well at least that's what traders will take. Now I will say, um, you know, the market the reaction is somewhat muted compared to what we are anticipating it to the, be. The market reaction, yes, which is still frustrating. I understand because we're down thirteen well, cents, fifteen cents from where we were before we started. But but. but now, the day it came out or the day after, everything was in the red, right? And then the next day it bounced. I don't want to say yes. it bounced back, but it was all in the black. Is that well, right? Well, if you would have, yes. We we did U.S. Farm Report the Wednesday before the report came out. So we did August 9th, we had to do U.S. Farm Report. I I feared going into it, and, and you can look at what was released the morning prior to the USDA report. My expectation of corn yield was 168 or higher. So I... I I think, you know, there's kind of a a two-prong argument here. First being, and I I said it throughout much of July, people were putting the yield reduction cart in front of the horse. I, you know, I think people were expecting the USDA to make this big sweeping move, and that didn't happen. And so I think in some ways, the analysts going into this report talking low 160 yield numbers um, did a lot of folks a disservice because the reality was, based on history, the USDA was not going to make an adjustment that drastic in their August report. For that first thing. So, Secondly, just clar- clarify for me what was their original? What 
the WASD, what, what was the, is it May or June? Which one is the big one? What do you mean? The, the other big one. There, there are, the next one will be big. Um, September, October. You right, know, but typically, the previous one. The previous July one. doesn't tend to have any right. major adjustment. I didn't think so. Yeah. In June, so June is a big one or May is the no. bigger one? No, June, um, really when it comes down to it from supply and demand reports, I would say your biggest ones tend to be January because okay. that's when you get final production and and really a, a major outlook as to what to expect for the whole year. So in January, you'll get like four reports together that day. You get quarterly stocks, you get final production, and you get supply and demand. So three reports. Okay. Um, January is huge. February and March tend to not be anything from a supply and demand standpoint, just little tweaks with demand more so than anything, um, because you're ahead of planted acreage and quarterly stocks at the end of March. Um, April and May, again, not really much of anything. May is when the USDA releases their initial um, new crop outlook. So sometimes people get excited about that. I never do just because that's the world board and they're taking trend line yields and stuff like that. So that's the yield we've been using. The 170.7 is is what the world board considered to be trend line. So um, I guess my thinking is, is that for, from my perspective, I don't want to say maybe from a farmer perspective, I don't know, from my perspective, I want to know what that USDA report looks like after the, the acres have been planted and we've got some yeah. crop coming up in the field. What, what was that... What was that um, yield prediction? 170.7 or at least 171. I think they made a okay. minor adjustment in July. Okay. Um, so they, they, which, you know, a lot of market analysts have it tattooed on the back of their arm, the changes made. I don't. I, it's, it's a, like I said, it's a, a driver or it's a parameter to me, but it's not the end all be all as some So it's not on your it lower back. It's not tattooed on your lower back either, huh? Yeah. <laughs> No, that's Chinese. Script, oh, okay. That, um, you know, yeah. So it's it's really not one of those things. They came out. I think they believed just under one seventy two was the the trend line. Okay. They did make a minor adjustment to one seventy point seven. Most people were anticipating a bigger adjustment than that. We didn't see it. Um, you and mean then down? this last month, obviously yes, down. Down. Okay. Yep. Right. Yeah. People were already talking 168s and things like that in July. And, and that was that to me was also foolish because the USDA has never made a major move other than in 2012. And, and that was an epic situation. You know, and on top of that, people forget in 2012, the July report in 2012 came after a significant reduction in quarterly stocks at the end of June. Um. So there's a lot of stuff. It's it's really just kind of, uh, you know, there is there's a lot of like I said, it's 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 almost like a snowball or it's a significant butterfly effect, at least you could say, where one move and one group translates into a bunch of moves down the road into other groups, if that makes sense to you. So from from a marketing standpoint, from a trader standpoint, are farmers just trained to be pissed when that report comes out, no matter what it says? I don't know, because the problem that we have right now is the USDA has released negative information with go, after we've gone in with positive expectations um, pretty much since like March of 2015. Maybe I just don't remember the bullish reports from the USDA, but I mean, we've been stuck in a long term bear market anyway with growing stocks and growing production. And, you know, demand is, has been steady, but it hasn't increased like we became accustomed to seeing it increase in 2007 through 2012. You know what I mean? In, in five years time, we added five billion bushel of demand via ethanol. Um, so we've been so in, used to seeing this significant demand increase. Well, now we're not necessarily seeing that. We we see um, demand stay constant to to slight growth, but we've seen supplies remain, you know, much larger than anticipated the last pretty much since two, like I said, two thousand thirteen. I think we expected um, lesser corn acres in thirteen or, or something of that nature, and and we'd anticipated crop production issues. And the USDA each year has said that's nice, but no, you know, thirteen was a tip back year. I think 14, we talked about it being too wet in the spring or too cool or something of that nature. Uh, 15, we thought was was going to be um, 
really bad, which it was bad in the Eastern Corn Belt, but the Western Corn Belt actually worked out pretty nicely. And then 16 was pretty much perfect. You know, and, and even last year, most folks, myself included, did not anticipate 175 bushel to the acre national average yield. You know, so we've we've really been kind of a group of folks that have always anticipated lesser yield figures than what the USDA is, has given us. And in the end, the cash market's supposed to be the one that decides. And, and I would say wide basis levels and wide carries would indicate that we have had, you know, close to the crop the USDA has been anticipating the last few years, you know, but now we'll have to see what happens in that cash market as we move ahead, if that makes sense to you guys. If I'm not just like mumbling here. Sounding like Charlie Brown's. Right? <laughs> um. I, I don't know. I mean, do you think that farmers are on a witch hunt for the USDA? No, I think they have great reason as to why. I mean, it's frust. It like I said, everything's frustrating when you go out into your field and you don't see the yield there that that people are telling you you have. Oh, um, now, okay, then by I have people to say, I mean the USDA. Right. And then I have to say, have you ever really heard a farmer say, "Oh, we're projecting a bumper crop"? Let's be honest. I have a I mean, few. It's rare. I have a, a few. few have, yeah. You know, on the, the marketing side, um, I may get some information that others don't in the sense that, you know, when the market was up big this this year, but I work with a couple hundred customers and this was like two guys that called and said, I need to sell more. I have the best crop I've ever had. You know, everyone else is like, well, I don't know what I'm going to have. Right. You know, and now on right the other there. hand, on the other hand, those guys that called you up and said, I think I'm going to have the best crop I ever had. I need to sell more. Probably didn't announce that on social media, which I think no. is is part of where this is coming from. I mean, these numbers were shocking because all we really hear on social media is the shit. Well, that's just it is a lot of times trader friends and I will talk about it and very rarely um you know, if someone has a big crop, they, well, I have a customer that'll say it and I don't know if he listens or not. Sometimes I hope he doesn't, but, um, he'll always tell me it's, you know, social media is really quiet right now. And usually that means big yields. Oh, and that, that's interesting concept that actually, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Cause no one likes to brag. No one wants to be the reason, you know, remember poor Corey Ritter, how much <laughs> no. that guy took I was when thinking about him this morning. Uh, what did they call that? Uh, Cory corn. Cory corn. Thank you. Yes. Corey you know, corn. How, people treated him like dog sh because yeah, he was being honest. And, because he was honest. You know, and that's, I got a lot of crap last week, well, two weeks ago or so, because I just said I did not anticipate um, a yield number like people were talking. I mean, you had a big private group come out and say a 162.8. Um, I'm sorry. To me, that did a disservice because what happens is people read headlines like that. They don't, the people that we want to come into this market are not people that know the ins and outs of production. Speculators, those people out there, they basically, what I liken them to is people betting on a horse. So well, what do you pick when you show up at a horse track? Are you going to bet on Are you going to do a bunch of research into each horse and what it? No, you're going to pick them because you like their name. Right. You know what I mean? So someone's well, going to buy corn because they like the fact that they may get a rally out of it. And if the USDA says no, 169, when everyone's expecting a 166 or less, then you have people sell. You know what I mean? Like, well, and I think, you know, from an outsider standpoint, you say, oh, well, you know, we were predicting 166 and they are predicting 169. They're like, that's three bushels per acre you know yeah. to some people that's not a huge deal unless that's your bread and butter yeah well yeah um, it's a huge deal when you lose 15 cents a bushel because of three bushel you and know I, what also, I, mean? I also think i told chris when this report came out on thursday we happened to be up at the state fair and i said you know it's it's like it's like expecting when people tell you stuff like that it's it's like getting your hopes up on christmas morning or say your 25th wedding anniversary <laughs> for <laughs> You know, Chris. this really, you know, something good under the tree. You know, it's like, oh, my God, you you get your hopes up and you end up with coal in your stocking or nothing on your 25th wedding anniversary. I mean, <laughs> I, did I work did I work that in there really good? Right. I like it. I so, like it. But I, I mean, serious. It's like, you know, it's like all that anticipation waiting for something under the Christmas tree and you wake up and there's coal in your stocking. Yeah, someone um, stole your Christmas tree. Yeah, it's it's pretty much, it's it's hard to, it, I mean, it's like somebody telling you this is going to be your year, and then, 
you know, as the combines are running and you're staring, you're staring at that monitor instead of straight ahead and the numbers aren't there. It's, it's a little tough to swallow. Yeah. No. And, and I mean, I, I understand, um, completely. It's, it's one of those things that it's hard to express. Um, for me, it's, it's hard to express because I am absolutely ticked at the number. You know what I mean? Just because I said that I expected a, a 168 doesn't mean that that's what I was hoping for. Um, How did you come to your conclusion? I mean, what made you think? To me, I, honestly, just the fact that the USDA has not done jack when it comes to reducing yields l- the last few years. Because my business partner pecked it at 168 also, but he talked more about how the crop in the part of Iowa where it matters was still fairly good. Mm-hmm. And that and also we includes that's northwestern the Illinois, too. Yeah, and that's... I can say that, you know, I, I've, that's the other thing I've, I've had a lot of people when I put it out there and I've just stopped saying it, you know, I've struggled with backyarditis. You can count it, call it backyarditis if you want. Backyarditis is where you look out your window and, and develop a crop outlook based on exclusively what you're seeing. I'm in Kasuth County, Iowa. Last year, um, we were well over 200 bushel average, um, countywide, I think, um, or maybe it was a 198. I don't know. It was up there. It was a ridiculous amount coming from a girl who grew up in a county whose APH five years, 10 years ago was 124, you know? So I'm out here now in, in Iowa and, and I can look out and it looks really good. We got a rain the week that we needed a rain to salvage, I would believe, pollination. I'm not an agronomist though. So I don't, you know what I mean? I, I can't say that I've been out and, and done yield checks and blah, blah, blah. I can just tell you that it looks similar in our neck of the woods to what it looked like last year. Not as oh, good. A lot can, more variability. Can you know, I just blah, say blah, blah, I blah. hate it when people compare year to year, not to. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm no. like, how many times can people say, well, compared to what year? Well, I don't f- no, it yeah. it depends on soil temperatures and when it was planted and and what the temperature was during pollination and how much rain we've had and and then you did, I have no clue. I think one of the big differences between last year and this year is last year the wet holes produced and this year I don't think they will. And that and that oh, they're not that won't to. matter where Angie is because they didn't have those issues. But in a lot of other places, that's going to be. I think where it's going to be a gonna huge. Be. Yeah. It's going to be a huge deal here. I mean, uh, Chris and I both can tell you where every single wet hole is. The edges of our fields look great. I can tell you where every single wet hole is, and there is nothing in those wet holes. I can tell you that right when now. When you fly it from you above, it looks it. a lot different. Right, and that's that's the point. I mean, you can drive past and say, oh, yeah, farmers are doing great. But I can tell you, if I, flow, if I flew the drone up right now, I could tell you where a wet hole was, and if I looked at it, there'd be nothing there. Um we we've we've had some decent rains too, and now I'm trying to think. It rained in Indy, I know, day before yesterday, but I'm not sure how much we've had. But Chris and I went for a ride yesterday on you know his midlife crisis motorcycle, and um, sandy ground's starting to hurt around here. You can really see it now. It's yeah. you know all year everything's looked even across the fields. Now that sandy ground is taking on a different look. I will tell you. Here, um, when we went down, we went down to Osceola. Um, it's an hour south of Des Moines, so it's right in that part where we were just announced they just established severe drought or whatever. And and we drove down there. We were going to take the train. Amtrak ended up delaying our blah 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 forever, so we didn't end up taking the train. We flew out of Des Moines, but on our way down, Carl and I both commented that we were really surprised at how good things looked. Now the hillsides, because there are hills, especially once you get south of I eighty in Iowa. Um, at least from what I've seen. But um, the hillsides, the pasture ground really look like crap. But a lot of the corn did not look as impacted, severely impacted by the dry conditions as what we had been anticipating, he and I both. Um, We came back yesterday from Des Moines, and I'll tell you, just as close as 10 miles south and a little east of here, you could really, really, really see um, the, the lighter ground. The wet spots, the lighter ground it, over the past week, it had fired up. Um, it was rolled up, you know, and and now I, I don't know how last night's rain. We ended up getting an inch and a half here 
right where we live, uh, a little bit less further to the south. You know, I don't know how last night's rain will impact it, but I can tell you that there were some spots that if we end up in the upper 80s to 90s, like they're talking here this week, um, the local forecast at least, and, and those spots don't get any rain, that plant will shut down. I don't, like I said, I'm not an agronomist, but I would assume that there's not much left to it. Karen, are you starting to see any of that out there that is is concerning you at all? Or is it just another well, I mean, 2017, everything looks like dog sort of year for you? I will say that I've never had a year as challenging as this mentally. But um, it depends on where you are. There's haves and have nots. You know, there's still areas where it's increasingly dry. Southwest Iowa is one. The Dakotas have come back a little bit on the east side, but not the west side. Um, Indiana is like a swimming pool in most cases um in southern illinois has had issues too so it just really depends on where you are i think a lot of people will have an average year but there are going to be areas where it's going to be fairly tough so plants have shut down they've had some issues taking up k if they didn't have the moisture the potassium they can't take up the k which means that they cannibalize their stalks earlier um we haven't seen a ton of disease in most places but um, I suppose there's still time for that. But there's always time for something to go wrong. And then the other word it's I keep hearing, you know, we were late this year, later than we've been in a while. So we have to, you know, anticipate that that F word might come into play at some point in time. So don't you put that evil on me, Karen. Well, I'm just saying I've been in North Dakota when it's frosted on August 15th before. So you just never know. Stinks. It stinks. It literally stinks. Yeah. When that happens, um, we had one mid-September one year, and that was bad enough. That was uh, it was one of the years that I was at the elevator, and it, we had you know thirty-five percent moisture. The shit just wouldn't dry. You know, forty-five pound test weight loaded with FM cracked corn. It just it was miserable. Well, and not so to never, act like I the sky it. is falling, but you know, twenty seventeen has given us everything. From every direction, so that wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah, even the weather has gone from a hundred degrees to sixty degrees. You know. Yeah, and that was the one thing that that Lance talked about um, today is NAS. You know, for one, they don't focus on that trend line yield thing that the World Board uses. Um, they they say history can be a driver, but it isn't the only one. Um, they also use different techniques than that World Board for putting yields together. And um, weekly condition ratings are considered, but not a direct factor. They're just one piece of the information. So they, this month's report, they said, was heavily survey driven. So it was actually information they say they received from farmers that put their numbers together. So do you think, you know, going back to what we talked about before, do you think some farmers are maybe more optimistic than they let but didn't on? Or they do you say think that it was early It yet? wasn't really that many acres, though, or it was only like one or two farmers per county or something like that. It didn't seem like the well, sample had, was that intense, yeah. I guess. They had 21,500 farmer responses. But then you have people on Twitter that'll say they'll never respond to the USDA. So then it's their own fault and then if they don't like the And they'll bitch about what the USDA says. Yeah, that's so that's the other thing. Would I mean, it, are you your own worst enemy when it comes to how we work with the USDA? I don't know. I mean, that's, well, I don't think so, anyone wants to show their cards, I guess. So no. let me ask why those reports come out. I was just reading Twitter here and I, I said that I had my snack ready. Let's talk USDA WASD while I eat my yellow peanut M&Ms. And, you know, we get there's a conversation going on here. Uh useless info that shouldn't be released let the free market decide you know it, it does affect the market why what is the purpose of these reports it's to give direction basically market updates i don't know when they established them i do know that the october we had government shutdown in october of 20 was it 13 and we didn't get any updated information that month that sucked we didn't move um, you know, the, we, we just, the trade, the outside market has built, um, expectations around these reports. And when we don't receive this updated information, we tend to not go in any direction or at the very least the old adage is the bull needs to be fed every day. The bear, you know, basically can hibernate. 
So you can see downward um, pressure on a market that has no new information more so than you'll see people come in and buy on a lack of information, if that makes sense. So as frustrating as they are, you know, and I saw that comment about let the free market work, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's a necessity. I don't know. It's, um, it's one of those things where I think have not having it, which I've seen a lot of people say, we don't need them. We don't want them, you know? And I would wonder if the USDA had come out and said a 160, if those, you know, same people would be talking about how smart the USDA was. And that's, and that's a fact. Yeah. I mean, are we just accustomed to complaining about the USDA? I guess. Are we supposed to be, I don't know. Um, so I, I, I just, interesting. Now I do find it interesting. Um, just saw, um, this posted, um, from Todd Gleason. He said there were 4,105 farmer surveys turned in for Northern Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. So 4,500 out of 21,500 means that the, those top four states, well, top four areas of production, I guess you could say, um, you know, had 20% of the, the survey, the surveys coming in. Um, and, you know, so that makes you wonder if, uh, if that wasn't something different, like it, they, they heavily relied on Kansas this year, um, and Texas, which I don't know and, how that would work for, and uh, Nebraska were the top. And I don't, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but apparently Pennsylvania is off the charts this year. Pennsylvania had 649 samples returned versus, let's say, no, Iowa mean, uh, that had 685. Oh, yield-wise? Yield-wise, yeah. Yield wise, yeah. I've heard from a few that have said they're um, having one of their best years ever. Which they, I would imagine they are. Uh, right now, Pennsylvania's yield per acre is expected to be 160 um, bushel and, to the acre. That's versus last year of 129. Yeah, that's that's... I don't know why that fascinates me so much, but I mean, that's like. Uh, it's because you don't consider Pennsylvania to be a big, you know what I mean? Like you. Well, not just that, but who jumps that much? I mean, that's, that's we did we even jump that much in 2012 in the I states? Well, it's not over I yet. I think so. Well, that, no, it's not over yet. But, um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I find it. I did. I did find it fascinating. I, every year that this comes out, I always want to go back and compare what their um, prediction was in August, USDA's prediction was to what actual harvest data was or final yields were. And well, Alabama to- will will definitely work your will definitely get your dander up because Alabama went up forty five bushel from one twenty right? to to one sixty five this year, but they're still only going to produce thirty nine million bushel overall out of a fourteen billion bushel. You know, and the well, same still. for Pennsylvania. They're going to produce yeah, 160 million. Yeah, you add a couple million. of those together, and now there's something. Yeah, yeah, and to the guys producing that, that's huge. Oh, yeah, that's a definite I mean, increase. You, you know, you can you can say, well, for the state, and they only produce this much, but, dude, if I'm one of those guys, I'm like, shit, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Michigan um, went up 13, 157 to 170, and I will say from my drives around, I would agree with most of that. Um, there are some pockets, though. I have one customer just north of Grand Rapids that's having the worst year he's ever had just because he, he keeps missing a rain over top of his farm. That's it just that it'll rain all around him. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And that's I talked to a guy in Kansas. I talked to a group of farmers last week, eight, eight farmers from Kansas last week that they everyone but one is having the best crop of their existence, their best dry land. Um, you know, most of them are irrigated down there because they have to be, but their dry land corn looks phenomenal. The USDA did, did drop their yield expectation nine bushel this year in Kansas. So that is is interesting, too, that they dropped that when they seem to continue to get the rain down there. Um, you know, they did they dropped Oklahoma as well. But they did raise Ohio and some people, you know, so your state by state numbers are kind of wonky. You know, like you said, Pennsylvania is such a huge increase. Alabama is such a huge increase. South Dakota really only saw a uh, uh, 21 bushel to the acre decrease. And, and they've had, you know, what you could say uh, is an, an epic drought. I think literally on the drought monitor, it's extreme or something like that, you know, on there it's, for a while. it's as high yeah. as it goes. Yeah. Um. North Dakota, 
uh, they put North Dakota down 37 bushel to the acre from a year ago. Um, so that's a big adjustment lower. But yeah, but you know, the like North I said, Dakota, the, I mean, the, the western part is where it's worse, but the eastern part is where we get the most corn. So yeah, and they lowered they lowered Minnesota 10 bushel to the acre, and I don't I don't necessarily. I don't know why they would, but I haven't been up to Minnesota in a month here. So, you know what I mean? So for everyone that you can say, why the hell did that come in that high? There's other ones that you could be like, well, why'd that come in that low? So Dude, tell us I the don't truth. Know. Is there really like, just a dartboard the, that they throw darts at and pick numbers from? <laughs> God, I think so. I mean, I really do. I struggle with anything USDA driven because I can't wrap my mind around statistics. I'll be completely honest. I've so, never been a statistics person in my life. I'm not either, but I was. I, I, I'm always fascinated when people start kind of getting mad at the USDA. I'm shocked when these numbers come out, and so I wanted to know every year. And this year, I finally, thanks to Chip Flory, got it accomplished. Want to know, you know, what the prediction is to the final uh, yield results? Um, and he gave me the seven states that they do the pro farmer tour on. It's actually kind of fascinating. I mean, for Indiana, um, seven years out of the last 16, we produced um, higher yields than the USDA predicted. Nine, we produced lower. So, I mean, they're they're close to 50-50. I mean, if you're not a statistics person like me, it's close to 50-50. When does their tour start? It's soon, isn't it? Next week. Next week. Next week. I'm pretty sure we should be invited on that. I'm just... (laughs) I've done it. It's exhausting. I was going to say, uh, it is, uh, but you, like, you can meet up for dinner, but I don't you know, want to go and, take and I would. <laughs> I will tell you I really this much would. right now. It, I would go if I could guarantee that you guys were in my car, but you don't do that. So that's why, you know, I will, will tell you this much right now. I went in 2014 for two reasons. One, I had always just been utterly fascinated with crop tour from the year I started trading. Still am. You know, I, I still am just, it is, it's a major enterprise. Two, I went that year anticipating to be vindicated because I thought that yield estimates were too high. I was not vindicated, by the way. Yield estimates were, USDA numbers were in line um, with with what we figured out production-wise. But it's exhausting. And there are people that are, oh, it's just a bunch of people going out and getting drunk. For those of you who think that, I invite you to take the tour. I challenge you to go on the tour because it is something that is very objective, Right. That's the word for non-bias, because you pretty much you pick fields, you drive, you get a route, you drive that route. Um, Everyone gets a different route and you pick fields and you go out into the fields and, you know, you follow the same procedure every time you go out and you come back and you calculate your your yield estimates or your pod counts for soybeans, your yield estimates for corn pod counts for soybeans. You turn that in. They compile all of that info average it out and give an estimate based on, you know, the the people the that were out into the fields that day. Um, well, I'm volunteering to go. I I think that's on my bucket list. I, it should I, be. You'll be in California next week, but next year I would go if I were you. Um, I, I just think it sounds fascinating. It is. It's a, I, it was a- one of the best can times I get I've drunk? had, but... You and can. can I? Okay. All right. You good. can. Okay. But I will tell you what, you're on the road by 6 30. The, the mornings next day, would be rough. And you're in the car. Oh, they are. I was, uh, the first night I was like, woo, party. This is going to be a blast. By Monday night, I was like, 9 30, you know, the, the dinner and the talk wraps up and I'm ready for bed. I was not, uh, and that was before kids. So I can't imagine now with a child how I'd be, I'd be sleeping at the dinner table. You know, by the last day I drove, um, on the tour in 2014. And by the last day, I almost had to ask someone in my car to drive for me because I was so exhausted, I could barely keep my eyes open. So I'm um, going to ask a question here that we may want to delete later, um, this portion. But um, how do traders feel about this tour? The tour, they look at it. They they think it's... Well, there's two different mindsets. Um, okay. There is the... Oh, it's, you know... Farm, it's a farm journal tour this year, but it's always been the pro farmer tour. Oh, it's they're they're the friend to the farmer. I saw that mentioned this morning. Friend to the farmer, so they're always going to come out with something optimistic. Yeah, not necessarily. Um, you know, Chip and Brian and everyone else that's part of that are are very dedicated to having it be a, a serious objective. You know, get in there 
and and be non-biased and and produce a a yield estimate. They they take that very seriously and and they deserve a lot of respect for that. Um so there's one group that kind of sees it as Neh. there's another group that'll see it as boots on the ground, actual indications of what's going on. You know, everyone takes tours um to to heart a little bit just because there's actual people out making um estimates. You know, it's it's something better than trying to guess. My biggest struggle this year has been all of the people who have not been in Iowa telling me what Iowa looks like. Well, Iowa looks awesome. Well, it depends yeah, that, on where well, you are. I'm in just Iowa. in some you. parts. Yeah. And, and if it doesn't, it will make a huge comeback. Ask just yeah. ask anyone in Indiana cuz that's all what we think of Iowa. <laughs> Everyone always looks at Iowa like they're the greenest thing since sliced bread and then I moved to Iowa and I was like, uh, "Okay, I mean, it's great. I like it, but it needs more petting zoos. But that's <laughs> <laughs> my take. We had too much fun in Michigan. But, yeah, I mean, everyone is, is that's been the one thing everyone's looked at. Last year, Iowa's a state average 203. This year, folks are projecting a 188. Um, you know, a lot of people are coming forward and, and throwing out 120s and things like that. And that's what I had a customer ask me Um why aren't we hearing more about how poor Iowa is? Are they really not that bad? And I said, well, you're hearing some, but a lot of it's coming from people that practice hysterics too. So that's the hard part is, you know, I had someone tag me in a picture the other day with some corn. You know, at first glance, I would say is is somewhere between 150 and 200 because I'm not an agronomist and I don't have kernel counts and I don't this and that and the other thing. But, you know, looking at it, it looked like reasonable corn. And they're try- they were telling me it was sub 100 you know, but then today I saw another picture that looked like, again, you know, maybe 150 to 175, and they said it yield estimate was 215. So I guess you take all of that with a Well, I think salt. the problem is, though, the southwest Iowa is pretty bad. But southwest Iowa is not the biggest corn-producing part of Iowa. So, I mean, that has to be taken into consideration, too. Yeah. Well, that's the, the problem that you have is last year... You know, when things looked really good in southern Iowa, everyone wanted to ex- explain that southern Iowa didn't matter. Um, you know, and now that southern Iowa looks really poor, everyone wants to talk about how much it mattered. Okay, so how will what came out this past week affect insurance? Well, it could. It, it's a matter of what happens as we move ahead um, trade-wise, because your insurance setting, um, your harvest insurance set date doesn't happen until October. So we have two months before we have to be concerned about it. It did impact um, a lot of folks with wheat. Um, I'm not 100% sure, though, what their insurance dates are. I think in the spring wheat area, their their insurance um, harvest insurance price is being determined right now. So that would be major. Um, since the USDA didn't adjust spring wheat um, production as low as what everyone is anticipated, anticipating spring wheat prices have dropped significantly, I think 80 cents or more since the report came out. And with them setting harvest price right now, that would have a huge impact because how your, your revenue policy would work is you have your base price set early in the year when you're purchasing that insurance. And then if you have your harvest price option with most insurance agents worth anything, will tell you to always get that harvest priced option. Um, if the price is higher at harvest than what it was when you set your base price, you get that higher guarantee. So folks that were looking at $7.75, let's say spring wheat prices or, or higher, um, would have been looking at a, a higher revenue guarantee for every acre that they'd produced. And now that that price has dropped out of bed like it has, they're not, their guarantee has also fallen. So if they would have had an insurance check you know, two weeks ago or whatever, because their revenue um, failed to to meet that guaranteed level, they may not now because that revenue guarantee has fallen off due to the lower prices. So you could call it a conspiracy in and of itself, too, that the USDA doesn't want to have to pay out a bunch of money in insurance because of the lower insurance price guarantee, which half of people listening's heads will explode at how stupid that is. And the other half listening will, you know, like shake a fist and, and, you know, understanding like damn straight, screw the man. But, you know, there's there's two ways of looking at it. But um, that is a a real issue. Uh, If you have volatility in a market increase because of something the USDA released and it's negatively affecting your operation, of course, you're going to be pretty pissed off. You should be. I mean, it's a kick in the damn teeth, you know. 
especially if you're in those spring wheat areas who's where your yield sucks. Um, so I can see how that would be frustrating too. Good times. 2017, the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Woohoo! Uh. That's just it. So, I mean, I don't know. As time goes on, and that's what I was going to point out earlier is, is, you know, relatively speaking, yes, the price has dropped. We lost, we're, we're, I, I had some corn trade. The day before the report came out, I had a customer of mine, we talked and he had, you know, nothing sold for new crop and he was really kind of worried about it. And, and he asked me what my expectation going into the report was. And I told him I was really nervous that, you know, the USDA would come out a lot higher than what people were expecting. We'd see the market down, blah, blah, blah. So we had some 396 March futures that day. So if you look at that compared to where we're trading right now at 384 March, you know, the market itself is telling you that it does not buy the USDA numbers either. You know, yes, we're lower, but the reality is, is if you had told everyone prior to that report coming out that they would come out at a 169, everyone would have told you that we would be limit down multiple days. And so we're not. So I think in that respect, you know, a lot of trade is is they may have reacted negatively, you know, or knee jerk right off the get go. But I think this is showing you that trade saying, okay, all right, 169 was your guess. Okay, that's great. We're going to hold on a little bit and see what else is going on. Because last year at this time, I think we were below 330 on the December or close to it. So we were almost 40 cents cheaper than where we are. A year ago, with a lower carryout expectation for for new crop, I believe, um, at this point. So I guess if there's one thing that you can say, well, it doesn't suck that bad, is we still don't suck as bad as last year. Um, but we, you know, we are struggling with with what we're you know looking at as lower expectations for yield overall, and and. Uh, um, and lower production as a result, blah, blah, blah. But I will say low prices in August work great for keeping Brazilian supplies sidelined. The Brazilian farmers are not in a hurry to sell right now, and they've got a huge second crop um, of corn coming off, and they're not really offering it up for sale because some of them down there are seeing less than $2 a bushel for their corn. So it's hard to sell as a an exporter. It's hard to sell something you don't own. So that's beneficial in hopefully keeping our demand supported. At least, you know, there's a couple silver linings, you could say. Um, so any uh, any other questions, Jen? Or did you start drinking? No, I'm thinking about starting drinking. My, I'm, run, I'm running out of yellow M&Ms here. I am picking all of the extra cheddar goldfish out of my extra cheddar and pretzel I'm goldfish starting. mix. You should get something to <laughs> well, eat, Well, I have pretzels Karen. here, but I didn't want to like be on crunching that. on them while we were talking, so... Way to have respect well, for our listeners. I had to because I apparently my kids and dog don't. Just my like kids are really upset so. about the report. Um, we ate all your pretzels. Oh, sorry, we ate all your pretzels. So I guess I'm going hungry. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you for your participation, Mara. That's just FYI, we ate all of your pretzels. Everyone should have seven kids. So with that, I mean, if you guys, if you think we've kind of covered it, um, you know, as on it, as always, we are completely open to hearing your feedback. Um, you know, we really enjoy the conversations that we have online, unless you are a croc supporter. And in that case, ew. Um, <laughs> uh. You know, we like to have feedback. We, we like to hear what you're thinking. Um, the important thing, I guess, if I could say one thing as a takeaway with this report is, you know, kind of always expect that you're Charlie Brown as a farmer and the USDA is Lucy with the damn football. And so every time you go to kick that football, think of the USDA jerking it away from you. So if you're ever going into a report expecting the USDA to give you the gift of a lifetime just don't stop. It's really you know just I mean? coal in your stocking. Exactly. So, you know, I know it's easier said than done, but, um, you know, re- re- having your life revolve around the USDA or their reports is is usually not going to end well because it's just not. You know, the USDA's overall job, I would say, is to make sure that prices, food prices, um, you know, ag prices, things of that nature stay somewhat flat because volatility makes for an angry angry consumer 
So, you know, kind of keep that in mind, too, is that any changes, any major adjustments, things like that are kind of going to be slow and and uh, uh, it's going to take so us some time. Basically, the USDA could give a shit if farmers are angry. It's the consumer they're concerned with. Pretty much, unfortunately. Pretty much. I mean, and I'm not trying to, to paint the USDA as, as evil. I really like Sonny Purdue. I think he's he's doing well for us for now, but... They have a whole, you know, multi-pronged, multi-faceted, well, giant it, operation out there that they've got to It's not about keep. farmers. I mean, as yeah. much as we'd like to think it is, it's it's not. It's it's a huge, yeah. So well, just look at your, uh, um, your farm bills. I mean that that should give you enough consideration as to what the USDA is is really. You know the, the the same breakout of of people or whatever of of resources and things of that nature at the USDA is is similar to what you would see in the farm bill, where a significant percentage is is uh, food and health and you know the, the and it f- is yeah it's not it it's not centered around farmers no as stressful as it is but as, as much always, as we want it to be. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, it, it, from an overall standpoint, though, um, you know, as we move ahead, we will start to get more of an idea as to what we have. Um, I had someone kind of get critical the other day because I said I, I retweeted something that said we won't know until the combines roll. Well, you know, someone's kind of thought that was a disingenuous thought process. It's true. It's the um, truth. Our, you know, yeah, our, our biggest struggle right now in the, the spring wheat market is that the market did things that it hadn't done in two or three years. And doing so, you know, from the price rally perspective and the basis rally perspective for high protein wheat, and doing so, it encouraged a lot of movement of old supplies that hadn't been in the pipeline coming into the market structure. So right now, we're, it's kind of a double whammy. The USDA has not adjusted production lower, you know, as anticipated, and the cash pipeline appears to be full. It's going to be this winter before we get a true feeling for what the cash pipeline looks like, and that's the true indicator of local supply and demand and supply and demand overall, more so than any USDA report ever will be. So it's it's going to take some time, but if this crop truly is hurt... Um, we will see it. It's just a matter of how it impacts your operation, you know, in the short term. I guess be prepared that you may not receive any vindication for a few months here. You know, the bottom line is, is we can be pissed all we want, but this is what we're dealing with. This is what drives the market. This is what, I mean, you can be pissed. It's not going to do you a damn bit of good. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to make your spouse mad. And, yeah, you know. basically. My boyfriend's here, so we might have to wrap this up soon. He's bringing me some... Yeah, pretty much. Oh, your UPS guy? (laughs) He's delivering you the packages. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back next week talking about other awesome topics. It might be ethanol. It might be a hot mess mom or dad. We haven't decided yet. We'll figure it out maybe by Wednesday. So have a great week. And uh, as always, again, I will say it. Thanks for listening.